The following audio brought to you by TSF Entertainment Podcast may contain graphic descriptions of violence and or audio clips of violence or sexual explicit events. Listener's discretion is advised. What's going on, TSF Entertainment Podcast? This is Retro CG, and tonight I'm joined by my host, Miss Really BTV. I'm your co-host, but okay. Yes, you are my co-host. <laughs> You're always my co-host. What's up? Well, tonight we're going to do something a little bit different than what we normally do on the podcast. And uh, I think there's something that we should do a lot more of, especially sitting around persons of color. Um, oftentimes we see that... Uh, um, things that happen with people of color, whether it's uh, disappearances or murders, uh, they really don't get much spotlight put on those cases, and those cases rarely get solved. Um, yeah, it's definitely a different level of focus when it, it comes to people of color, especially it seems like um, young women, it seems like. Especially with young women. And tonight's case is probably at the very top of Bizarre and Strange. Uh, so tonight we're going to be talking about the disappearance of Miss Cassandra Denise Hall. Um, she was an 18-year-old uh, student who disappeared in May 1994. Um, and this is a very bizarre case, a very perplexing case. And at the same time, it's very frustrating. Even 27 years later, it, there's a certain level of frustration uh, because I feel like this is a solvable case. This case could have very easily been solved. I, I and, think it absolutely could have been solved very relatively quickly if if the theory is correct. Yeah. Well, a little background um, story or a little background details regarding the case. Um, so, Cassandra Hall, which we'll refer to her as Clea, that was her nickname. Um, she was an 18-year-old high school uh, student. She was two weeks away from graduating. Um, she's from Pine Bluff, Arkansas. And um, she was an honor student. She was a, she made good grades. Um, she did uh what she was supposed to do as a student. Mm -hmm. She had a um, full scholarship to college and all that. I, I think they said that she was uh, maybe two to three weeks away from doing an internship. Um, she had aspirations on becoming a, a, a pediatric uh, physician. Mm -hmm. So uh, she was very uh, career-minded and very focused on furthering her education and mm -hmm. her goals in life. Um, so CP, where, how, how, how did we get to this point? Where, what, what happens with Cassandra, Cleo? Well, from what, um, from what we read, she, um, it was a Monday after it was um, the weekend. She it was Mother's Day, the Monday after Mother's Day, and um, she went to her part-time job. She worked for Dr. Larry Amos, who um, they keep referring to him as a doctor, but he ran a a program that got grant money for at-home daycare. So I don't know if he um, was a medical doctor and that's just, you know, or if it was like a PhD type doctor, but he was a doctor. And um, and from he, what I understand, this was a non-profit organization. Right, it's a non-profit. So he didn't run a, uh, a, a primary physician or healthcare Right, right. It doctor. was a non-profit and he ran it out of his home. So he had a home office 
and that's when she worked um you know in the evening she did clerical work for him and from you know then and and I read and looked at and listened to a lot of podcasts. So it was a lot of information, but they said she'd been working there for about a year. Um, and and from what I was, understand, she was recommended this job by a friend of hers or acquaintance. Right, right. a friend um, by the, her name was Erica. Um, we'll hear a little bit more about Erica. Um, but she went there that day, and she did. She had her driver's license, but she didn't drive, so she always either got a ride to and from work or she would walk which was um she lived about 10 minutes away walking distance from from dr amos but they said that if she ever walked she always had her brothers um come and walk with her so she never walked alone so even when she did walk she didn't do it by herself but this particular day her mom dropped her off and well it's important to note that her method of transportation to and from work was her mother. Um, and as you said, uh, the only times that her mother would not come and get her would be those times where her brother would come and walk her home. Um, she's about 10 minutes away from her home to Dr. Larry Amos's home. Right. And um, so she that particular day she went to work. And um, at some point during her shift, she did call back to the house to ask if well anybody... let's press rewind on that just for a little bit cp because um from what i understand of the situation and there's um, been a lot of different versions of the story but one of the more popular versions of the story states that uh her mother had picked her up from school uh that day around about 2 45 to take her to work and um when they arrived to dr the doctor's home no one was home and so at that point, they end up going home and they received the call around maybe 445 that afternoon um, from the doctor's wife. Dr. Larry Amos was married and um, the wife called and let them know that Clea can come to work. So I think at this point, um, you know, she gets up and, and just goes to work. You know, she doesn't take anything with her. She doesn't take any of her uh I mean, we live in a different day and time than um, 1994. I mean, I grew up in 1994, so we had less attachments uh, as we do in modern day times now. You know, ideally, none of us would leave the phone without none of us would leave home without our cell phones or you know personal things like that. But uh, it's important to note that she didn't take anything to work with her. You know, well, I I'm, I mean, I did find that interesting because I mean, and again, I grew up in a major city versus, you know, maybe a smaller town, but I was just taught you never leave the house without any kind of ID. And I understand she was just going 10 minutes away and her mom was picking her up and drop her off. But I did find that interesting that she didn't have any ID with her. She didn't have her purse with her, her wallet, nothing. No I money, just, no anything. As a young, as a young lady, I've just never seen a young lady that was that just I mean a senior in high school that didn't pick up their purse I, but I get it I mean it is what it is but I did that did hit me as kind of curious that she just wouldn't feel like she needed to pick up anything but again I, I, I think that also goes to show how comfortable she was in just going to Dr. Amos's house that it's just what she did and I also think that when we get to later on it shows that she had no intentions at least when she left the house, I don't feel like she had any intention of going anywhere else. 
but to working back home. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just don't feel like she had the intention of doing anything else because she didn't pick anything else up. It was just like, all right, let's go to, you know, let me go to work for a couple of hours and I'm coming right back home. And some of the versions of the story that's being told is that uh, she was a little irritated about having to go in. I, I think that she had planned on wanting to go in earlier. Maybe she wanted to pick up a couple extra hours. Yeah, I don't know if this was her normal yeah. shift, but I mean, uh, a four-hour shift, uh, 10 minutes up the road, you know, she just jumps up and says, let me go get this over with. Uh, so... I agree. I think that uh, she didn't have any intentions on doing anything else after work, but going back home. Yeah, and that's one of the things. Again, I listened to so many podcasts and stuff at, at on this in the last you know week or so, just you know getting the information. But that is one of the things that I read was that she was trying to pick up some extra hours because she was actually going to do an internship in Boston for the summer before she started school, and so she was just trying to pick up as much you know, as much, uh, as many hours as she could to get as much money as she could, you know, um, I might be all over the place. So let me go ahead and say this, but before I forget, um, Dr. Amos did have a reputation for being cheap. So he didn't pay a lot. Um, and, um, so, you know, that may or may not be important, but I do know that that's something that I heard a couple of times that he, you know, definitely had a reputation for, for being cheap. They even said that, he would get work done on the house and then would complain so that he could get out of paying or get a, a bigger discount on the work. So, you know, definitely wasn't uh, giving out extra bonuses at the end of the week. Um, but yeah, so yeah. So And the stories that have been told regarding the case, uh, it seems that uh, most of her responsibilities for Dr. Amos um, consisted of just light clerical uh, duties, um, maybe some check writing um, and some um, assisting with some of the grant writing. It's never really been publicly stated as to what Erica's responsibilities were as well. I'm assuming she shared in those clerical responsibilities along with Cleo. Yeah. Yeah. And the other, and now I will say it again, um, you know, again, we'll go back to this. I will say this that, um, and, you know, this was in one of the um, articles, I mean, uh, podcasts that, um, that um, she would, she was curious about some of the checks that she wrote that she, you know, was kind of curious about that. Everything didn't seem like it was on the up and up, but you know, kind of like one of those that's above my pay Not grade overly concerned, but yeah, but kind of like mm, of the fact that kinda... the doctor is coloring outside the lines. Right. And that, that might come in, that, that might come into play with some of these alternative theories that we'll get to later on. So anyway, she goes to work that night and or that day, I should say. And she called back. Her mother said around eight o'clock, she called back to the house and she said that her brother picked up the line and her mom didn't say anything. And again, we have to we have to get in our spaceship and go to nineteen ninety four. And remember that this was before the the days of cell phones and text messaging and all of that. And she said that um her mom even said that they didn't even have caller ID at that point in time. So, you know, she called back to the house to find out if anybody had called her. And, she, you know, it's one of those things where it may or may not, you know, you may or may not feel like that's, you know, like, okay, well, was she looking for a phone call or was she just, you know, just teenage curiosity? Was anybody looking for me? But, um, her and you have told to also no. think about, you know, she's coming off the heels of, um, 
I think she went to a uh, her prom, um, mm-hmm. and I think there was some type of uh, ball she went to that Saturday night. Mm-hmm. So you know there there had been a she lot had a of busy things. weekend. Yeah, she, yeah, had, she a, had a busy weekend, yeah. so. and she was getting ready to go into graduation. I mean, I know regardless, you know, some things are universal. No matter you know where you went to high school, no matter what what year you went to high school, some things are universal. Those last couple of weeks of school between prom and graduation is pretty much filler. You know, at that point, you know you've graduated. You already know where you're going to college. You're kind of just going through the motions to get you to the end. And, you know, it's a lot going on. It's a lot of parties. It's a lot of, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot of, it's a lot it's of, a lot of it's, a, it's a time for celebration. Yeah, it's just it's definitely a lot going on. So maybe there was some phone, you know, she was waiting to hear back about some different things going on for that week. Um, maybe we're going to get to um, get to that a little bit later on. But um, her mom said that she had, you know, met a guy. They're they're very clear to make sure that he is not referred to as her boyfriend, but he was a friend she was interested in. Um, and I found that to be curious that her mom was very clear to say he was not her boyfriend. So and I've heard so many different accounts as to the nature of their relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh in some accounts he's referred to as a friend she met at church. In other accounts, uh, he's slightly a little bit older than her. She may have had interest in him. He may have not had interest in her. So it's, uh, from what I understand and what I've read and and the research I've done regarding this case, he's never really publicly spoken out about the nature of their relationship. Or which is curious, and we'll get to that. That's that's very curious to me, at least. That's very curious. But yeah, so maybe she was waiting to see if he had called her again. You know. The days before cell phones, the day be- the days before, you know, the conveniences that we take for granted now. So she was calling and her mom was, you know, was like, are you ready to come home? And she was like, not yet. You know, I'll call you back. And um, she anticipated working to about 830. To about 830. Yeah. yeah. She said about 830. So her mom was sitting on the couch waiting. She said she was and, reading well, a book. One more thing about that. She didn't say a person's name. So when she called home, she wanted to know had anyone called for her. So right, I thought yes. that was rather unusual yeah. because if it was a, a phone call that she had been anticipating, she would have named that person by name. Then. Not if she not if she didn't want anybody to know she was waiting for that phone call. Mm, that's true too. But at the end of the day, someone else would have received the phone call and ultimately found out who that other person was. Anyway. Yeah, but yeah, but I'm just saying, like if you were like, you know. I'm just saying you may not necessarily say, hey, I was waiting for a phone call from, you know, Christopher. Let me know if he calls. You might just be like, did anybody call me? And then if they say, oh, yeah, Chris called. Like, oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, you may not want, especially if it's her brother. I'm telling you, as somebody who had a brother, you don't want your brother in your business like that. Just be like, did anybody call me? (laughs) And again, these are just small details, but it's, you know, it may or may not be important. You know what I mean? And it may have not been important in that moment in time, but um, hindsight is twenty twenty. That's true. And so, given the outcome of this situation, you know some of those fine details come into play. Yeah. Um, yeah. So her mother is anticipating uh, another phone call from her at eight thirty to come pick her up from work. What happens? Well, she actually fell asleep. So she fell asleep. And so didn't realize that she never got the phone call until her husband came home that night. And she said her husband had a habit of just checking all the kids' rooms when he got home from work. And when he checked uh, Clea's room, she was not there. He woke her up 
and so what, said, what time was all clear. this? She's, I want to say they said it was about midnight. If I remember yeah. correctly, I think it was about midnight. I think it yeah, was about yeah. midnight. And so, you know, her mom, it, she, her mother had just slept through. So it wasn't until her husband woke her up that she realized, wait a minute, no, I it never did home. get a phone call. Right. right. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think, didn't they check with the brother to find out if the brother had went to get her or something like that? Didn't they check? Or was it just, oh, she's not home yet? She's not home yet. Because uh, I guess it would have kind of been a moot point to even check with the brother to see if he had went to go get her because she wasn't home. So I think uh, after this point, you know, the mother gets up and realizes that Clea isn't home yet. And the first thing she does is call Dr. Uh, Amos's home to see is Clea still there? What happened? And on every account and research that I have come across regarding this case, I'll say that Dr. Amos picks up the phone on the first ring, which right. I, I find it a little bit odd at after midnight, closer to one o'clock in the morning, that he picks the phone up on the first ring. And um, he goes on to uh, let the mother know well, she's not here. She left about 8.30. Uh, there's been several different accounts that says that the doctor assumed that the mother had came and picked her up. She got in the car with an unknown or unidentified individual. He can't describe the vehicle that she left in. And then in other accounts, it's been well, I heard her leave. I heard the door close. I heard right. the garage so, door go down. Right. So, a couple of things. First, the first thing is, I think it's important to note that her mom called on his business line, not his personal phone. Correct. So, that was even more like, well, why, like, if 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 my daughter left at 8.30, you're still working at midnight. And again, it's, I mean, it's his office. And he can work however late you want to. But that was something that just sort of hit her as odd that he picked up the phone on the first ring like he was still in his office at midnight. So it wasn't his personal line, whereas you might say, oh, well, if it was his personal line, maybe he picked up the phone, the phone was right by the bed or something like that. But the other thing was, was in, at least from what I remember, he told two different stories. The The story he told the, in the beginning was she got in the car. I couldn't make out the make and model of the car and I couldn't tell who was driving. But then later on, he changed his story to... I heard her leave. I just assumed because that's how she always gets home. You pick her up. So I just assumed somebody picked her up because so he told two separate stories. So the doctor is not able to shed any other light as to why Clea is not home at one o'clock in the morning. Um, he offers no other details as to anything um, at the or un at the ordinary that happened that night um, during her shift. He assumed that she's home. She left um, like she normally would. And um, that was pretty much the end of the night. He verifies her time card and says, oh yeah, she left at 8.30. Yeah, he did check her time card and let them know, yeah, she you know, she left at 8.30, you know. Um, so uh, Clea's mom is like, you know, at that point, she's like, alright, you know, she must be out you know, she, she must be out smelling herself a little bit. She, you know, 18 and she didn't have her prom and she thinks she grown and I'm going to just stay up and wait for her to get home. And, you know, I got some words for her when she walked in this door. Um, and she said she stayed up all night waiting for her to come home, but she never did. She never came home. And so uh, there's not much that is spoken about uh, during this time. Uh 
there's some theories that uh, they were under the impression that she may have been with this boy. Um, so the next morning, it's the next morning, you know, uh, there's some thought that she might have went straight to school. But given how the description of what she was last wearing, I wouldn't have expected her to go to school dressed like this. It just seems like she kind of had on some loungewear, just kind of, you know, uh, around the house clothes. Uh, you know, yeah. she wasn't really dressed. Uh, and remember, she doesn't have ID. She doesn't have her wallet. Like, no money or anything. Nothing. Um. So, uh, her and her brother both are attending the same high school, and um, they're they're under their impression that she just may have went to school, and um, that day the band class she was a member of the band, uh, the band class was was going to another school. They were going to play at an elementary school. So when the rest of the seniors got back from um that trip, Clear was not in tow with the rest of the class at which time the younger brother, which is uh, Willie Jr. Um, calls home to inform the family that, Hey, she's not at school. Now there have been other accounts where I've heard where the next morning um, around about 9 AM, the family allegedly goes over to uh, uh, he's identified as uh, Scott Walker, which is the friend, the male friend who's mm -hmm. not the boyfriend and question him about her whereabouts. Did you spend any time with her the night before? Have you heard from her? Have you seen her? Did she come over here? And the the male friend can't give any, uh, shed any light on where she's at. No, I haven't seen her. I haven't talked to her. Mm -hmm. And that's that. Now, later on, on down the line, allegedly, uh, this male friend is brought in to be questioned and later on offered a polygraph that comes back inconclusive. Right. And, you know, we know now, like, I, I don't think anybody is under any illusions that a, a polygraph test is always, you know, accurate. Inconclusive could be a whole lot of different reasons. Um, and it, it could even be a And situation. it could be poorly administrated. Right. It could be, right. It could be so many different reasons. And, you know, like me and you, was, we, we were talking on offline, they may have asked the wrong questions. And, you know, like, for example, they could say, well, do you know... Or they may have asked personal questions that he did not want to answer. Right. Or it could have just been the way the question was, was asked. Like, did you have plans to see Clea? And he may have said, you know, no, when maybe they did. But he, you know, again, at that point, maybe he didn't want to get in trouble. Maybe he didn't, the parents didn't know. You know, he could have, and even in the same time, been anything, he doesn't yeah. know what where she is. So, right. in his mind, in this moment in time, she's not missing. She's going to show up any day now. Right. So it could be any variety. I don't want to make trouble why. for her as well. Right. Any it reasons could, why? Right. And I find it again, you know, with all of the the podcasts that I've listened to, and you know, YouTube videos and articles and stuff like that, we only found his name in one place. So I find it interesting that even, you know, 27 years later, his identity has been so well protected because even even her even uh, Clea's mother doesn't speak his name. And so I find that to be interesting. I don't you know, again, I'm not saying that there's anything nefarious. I just find it interesting that 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 the family um, has been so protective of his name that tells me that I feel like they really don't feel like he had anything to do with it, because I think if they felt like 
that he was connected or in some way, I don't feel like they would Their focus be worried be about. More, yeah, uh, I don't think they would worry direction. about protecting him if they felt like he had something to do with it. So the fact that they won't really say his name and the fact that we didn't find his name in a lot of different places, it it it, it says something to me. That I might not say anything to anybody else, but that's how I I would take that. You know, ultimately, my uh, my gut feeling, um, everything that I've uh, read about this case up until this point um, doesn't lead me to think that he's involved as well. However, I will say that I do believe that there's there's things that, you know, we all as uh, teenagers growing up didn't want to share with our parents. There were parts mm-hmm. of our lives that, you know, we didn't want our parents to be made aware of. Agreed. So whatever the nature uh, the relationship between him and her, I, I think that there's a certain level of uh, discretion. You know, it could be at the point that they were casually dating or, you know, trying to mm-hmm. develop a relationship. Right. He was Flirt a few years older than her. Uh, it's reported that he, he was a few years older than her. So, you know, it's a younger girl, older guy type scenario. So, uh, I, I think uh, a lot of times when, um, people are brought in for questioning and they're to the extent where they're given a polygraph means that you feel like this person is being deceptive. You feel like this person is hiding from you. So there's a certain level of questioning. There's a certain way they're going to approach you and mm-hmm. handle you when they're questioning you for a polygraph. It's more of an accusatory tone. It's more of a, a policing type situation where uh, I don't feel like you're being completely honest with me. And as people of color, uh, those situations don't always tend to be the best interest for us, especially when you're not represented by our attorney. Yeah, I'm one yeah. who personally advocates for anyone who's being questioned by the authorities, whether you're innocent or guilty, needs to do it in the presence of an attorney, a trained professional, because sometimes wordplay is everything, and sometimes things can be manipulated, twisted, and turned around mm-hmm. to make you become a person of interest sometimes there i mean we've seen it in so many other cases that we've been following over the years that uh people don't necessarily become persons of interest until they are led down that path to become that person of interest or a suspect right answer the question the wrong way yeah anything could uh, and I've, you become you know, tunnel vision at that point exactly and and, and the police unfortunately you know that they get their mindset that it's a certain person and then they make everything fit instead of the opposite of looking for the information, you know. But, but anyway, I'm very curious as to how we get to the male friend. How how does he become the first focal point and not the doctor? This is the last place that she was at. Right. This this was her job, her employer. So I mean, to me, this should have been the first stop. This should have been the first person brought in for questioning, polygraph. You know, let's let's dig into this a little bit more because the last place that she was allegedly seen alive and well, we knew that she was at work. The mother dropped her off. We knew that she called from Dr. Amos's house home. So we knew that she was there. But what we can't confirm and what anyone can't confirm is that she ever left. That she ever left. All right. I, I, I said that as well. Like I, I, I really wish I I really wish I knew how we got to the friend and certainly how we got to the friend before we got to the doctor. But anyway, let's let's get back to this. Let's get back to this. So by noon when the brother called to let the mom know 
listen, she's not at school. She wasn't on that field trip. She said that was when she first went and filed a police report um, or attempted to file the police report because at that point they had to wait 24 hours and it hadn't been 24 hours yet. So she said she had to go back at five o'clock because that was the last time she saw her daughter was at five o'clock when she dropped her off and then she filed the police report. And even then, I don't feel like the authorities took the proper measures to go ahead and start launching an investigation. Seems like they didn't do any backtracking to her steps, even as far as back to school that day. Um, It seems like the doctor was casually approached and asked, could his home be searched? And two weeks later, we decide we want to search the doctor's home. Two weeks later, we want to actually press redial on the business phone or the office, the home office phone to find out what the last number uh, that was dialed. What evidentiary value did we think we were going to get two weeks later when we've we've when a person has had an opportunity to get rid of any evidence that may be present? Right. Well, you jump, you you jumping ahead, but. But yeah, all of that's correct. All of that is accurate. And also, Dr. Amos actually left and went out of town the next day. So again, he leaves town, maybe taking stuff with him that might have been important. I mean, it could it could be anything, you know, but that also was a hindrance as well, was that, you know, they that he was able to leave town. Um, well, I shouldn't say able to leave town because he wasn't actually a suspect, but that he left town. Um, the police went to the school, but what was interesting was that they went to the school the next day, not so much to try to like interview her friends and 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 so forth about where she might be, but to find out about her character. And the mother said that the police even admitted to her. Well, if we had found out that she was a troublemaker, we wouldn't have even we wouldn't have even looked for her because we just would have assumed she was just a runaway or something. So here we are with what's going to be starting the victim blaming syndrome is when something happens to someone. And instead of us investigating and letting the facts speak to the situation, we come up with uh, assumptions and we're automatically going to assume that hmm. She's probably ran off with a guy somewhere. She's probably a runaway child. She's a belligerent child. And she was the opposite of all of that. And I really want us to get away. And I I mean, I guess I'm about to go on a tangent for a second. I really, I don't, you know, I understand that police resources are limited, but I really, really, really need police to get away from that mindset that every time a child is gone, that they automatically, oh, they just, oh, they just out having a good time. Oh, they just stayed out past curfew and scared to come home. Oh, they're probably just a runaway. Like if, and I understand that there are times when all of that could be true. But if I'm a parent and I'm telling you, listen, my child didn't come home last night. Does it matter if, oh, well, maybe they were just out breaking curfew. They still could be hurt. Does it matter if, oh, well, you know, they were, you know, they were a troublemaker at school. That's still my child, and my child didn't come home. Like, I still don't see where that's a valid reason to say I'm not going to do my job. You know what I'm saying? I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. 
and no one knows a person better than um people who Their spend the yes yeah that people who spend the most time with a person and can know when something is uh uncharacteristic about a person's um behavior and this from everything that we've learned about her is very uncharacteristic of her uh they were very close knit family her mother was pretty much uh, responsible for all of her uh transportation to and from her events um, right. she had so much that was going for her um, in her favor that it was just very odd that they would assume that she's uh just ran away right ran assume away the worst yeah, yeah assume the worst and so the so the mom said that basically at that point you know they kind of you know the police didn't really do anything they created flyers she said that um, her and people from church, they they created a search group um, and they started searching in the woods that were across the street from the doctor's home. And again, she didn't say because they suspected that the doctor did anything, but they were just like, that's that's just weird. Because again, that's that the was vicinity. the last place. Yes, right, that's, that's the, the last place they yeah. saw her. So, you know, that's where they had to go and look, you know. Um for whatever reason, it like you said earlier, it took them two weeks to get into the doctor's home. And at that point, I don't know what they thought they were going to find. Like, let's just Well, at that point, they didn't even do diligence to be prepared to go search the doctor's home. Because even though the family organized search parties, the police didn't organize the right, search Right, the police effort. didn't do anything, yeah. Even right. when they went to the school to uh, investigate her character, they didn't even bother investigating her belongings. They didn't even look through her right. belongings. They didn't even look at her locker. The school yeah. had to call them and ask them, would they like to retrieve the things from her locker? Right. And to this day, the family doesn't even know what the contents were in the locker. Right. So the, the, that, police, that, right. the police that's, cleaned out her locker. Yeah. That's just, that's that's the first issue that I have. Second well, issue, first, I, but... <laughs> well, with the authorities, uh, the second issue that I have is that they approach Dr. Amos and they kind of, it, it seems as though they just kind of ask him, hey, Dr. Amos, can you mind if we just look around a little bit? You know, she she was here the last place. This is where she was at. You know, can we just kind of look around instead of going with a warrant in hand and yeah. thoroughly searching and and um, being able to take the time to actually do a comprehensive right. uh, search versus, you know, uh, uh, a search that is granted by permission can end at any time. Right. And so and, it said that the doctor did not allow them to stay long to com- perform right. a search. Right. And again, I'm, you know, I'm nobody's, I didn't, nobody's law enforcement. I didn't go to, you know, the academy and I certainly didn't go to law school. But it seems to me that if the last time somebody was seen was at my home, I said they left, but nobody can prove that they left. It seems to me like the police could have been a little more proactive in trying to get even if it was a limited search warrant, even if it was just limited to his office where they know that she was working. I mean, it just seems to me like the police could have been a little more proactive or a little more forceful in getting Aggressive. in that home. At this yeah. point, they, yeah. they, need to be, they need to be a little bit more forceful for answers because according to Mr. Hall, it's allegedly said that the uh, doctor immediately started exhibiting strange behavior uh, after her disappearance. Uh there's been accounts where I've read and heard that he was witness 
taking flyers down. And I've also yeah. heard where he's paid people to take to her take flyers, the flyers down. down. Yes. Which is really interesting because at the because again, let's look at that. At the very least, even if you know, and again, uh, everything is alleged, this is just our opinion. Even if he didn't have anything to do with it, let's say she did leave his house that night and got into a car or whatever. She, this is a young lady that worked for you for a year. This is somebody who you got to know. Even um, if y'all just had casual conversation, why wouldn't you want the family to find her? Why would you take the flyers down? And why, why wouldn't would you be a, a, a focal part of that? Right. And the you family said be an he never participant. The family in, said he never in getting the answers. In helping the family receive the answers, not only is this an employee of yours, but to even clear your own name, you know, I would think that you would be an active participant in wanting to help uncover what happened to this young lady. Especially in light of the fact that she was a a model student. She was, uh, from all accounts, a very well-organized, very well-mature 18-year-old. So I would have to think that she probably did a very good job on your job. You know, this is a person that worked in your home for over a year. Right. And you show little to no interest in wanting to find out the truth, what happened to her. She, mm-hmm. I would feel terrible. I would be riddled with guilt every night, knowing that the last place that she was known to be at would be my home. Was that my house? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I would be bending over backwards to help the family. But again, you know, that's 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 us. So that was two weeks later, and basically, um, other than the friend slash boyfriend. <laughs> being questioned by the police and um there are no other persons of interest no other nobody else nothing nobody else um the other thing that was that came up was um the doctor's wife or ex at that point they were no longer married but at that point she um you know did let the police know and let the she talked to the parents that you know he was abusive and you know he was volatile and she, you know, basically had to, right, controlling in that she basically had to escape out of the house by throwing, you know, hot water on him. And, but her accounts were not taken seriously because at the time they were in the process of a custody battle. And so they were like, okay, she's just a, you know, a scorned woman and we can't really take anything that she says, you know, any type of validity. So there's that. Allegedly, it's also said that uh, during this divorce proceeding between the doctor and the wife, um, the ex-wife, that the doctor was uh, refusing the divorce and fighting the divorce on um, all accounts. Um, In other words, to remain married uh, to the wife. And of course, we all know that there is uh, spousal protection between um, spousal's um, privilege. Mm-hmm. when it comes to a, a man and a wife. Right. And so the doctor was pretty much uh, very forceful in um, fighting or contesting the divorce. Uh, it's another 12 years before we get another break in the case. It's March the 29th, 2012. Mm-hmm. Two construction workers finally decide to go forward to the authorities and it's alluded that they performed work for Dr. Amos's home. I don't know if it's this is renovations to the office because uh, 
I've read so many different accounts, but uh, I'm under the impression that the home office was the garage and it had been converted yeah. into a home yeah. office. I think so as well, yeah. Well, it's said that these two construction workers had performed work on Dr. Amos's home around the time uh, that Cleo went missing. Mm-hmm. And um, whatever those construction workers came forth and told the authorities didn't actually gave them the ability to have probable cause to go get a uh, official search warrant to search the doctor's home. What happens? Well, first of all, they never notify the parents to say, hey, we got a break in this case. Um, they find uh, out through the media. Yeah, well, Clea's mom said somebody called her while she was at work. And um, she went around there, but they might have found out because, and she said when she got around there, it was like 30 you know, 30, you know, people, you know, it was like police officers everywhere and the crime lab and everything. And the police officers came out after hours and hours and hours, came out with bags and bags of, um, it of, said of, that of potential it was four evidence. bags of evidence that was removed from the doctor's home. Right. 12 and, years later. Mm-hmm. And, um, now here's where it gets crazy all over again so this whole case has been crazy anyway but here's where it gets crazy again so the crime lab van parked away from the house because I've heard different accounts one account I heard was that the lady the crime lab lady said that she was scared for her life which I have no idea why she would be afraid for her life um they especially in the presence of authorities right like I have no idea why she would be afraid for her life but whatever um I heard that, um, you know, it was just so much traffic. It was just so much, you know, so many people around that they just kind of parked away, you know, just different things. So, I do I do believe that because from what I understand, there was a lot of uh, people from the neighborhood and the family and friends and things had congregated. Um, and uh, essentially, they were in the way. Mm-hmm. And so what's said to have happened was that the authorities or this one particular detective, not the authorities, it's this one particular detective uh, decided to take the bags of evidence. And from what I understand, they were just regular garbage bags of evidence and put into the trunk of his car. Right. His rationality with that was that he wanted to preserve or secure the evidence and not have to uh, handle those many bags uh, through a crowd of spectators. So that was his way of um, preserving the evidence. Right. The problem was the next day, or no, not the next day, because that was a Friday. So he kept it in his truck. I mean, in his the trunk of his car the whole weekend. That Monday, he took the evidence to the crime locker I guess or the the place a drop point yeah a drop off point and that is where the evidence sat for 40 days now there was some sort of miscommunication between the police officer and the woman at the crime lab where he dropped it off and he assumed that she knew it was there she never knew it was there but what I find to be very interesting is that the parents were checking back with the police on a weekly basis and they kept telling her, oh, well, we're waiting. They're still processing. 
when in actuality, nobody was processing anything because it was sitting in bags in this drop-off point. So are Beyond we that, are we miscommunicating? Like, what's going on? Well, it's said that this is not proper protocol for um, uh, the chain of custody of the evidence. What was supposed to have happened was that that detective should have made contact with someone from the crime lab to hand off that evidence. Uh, there should have been, it should have been logged in. It should have been documented what was removed and it should have been um, stored properly to prevent cross-contamination. So mm-hmm. now there is a, there is a speculation that the evidence could have been cross-contaminated. So it gets to the crime lab for processing and of course it's nothing of evidentiary value that's found in these four bags of evidence but yet there was enough to remove four bags of evidence but we found nothing. Well unfortunately a couple of things because um, even if it was a smoking gun the sad thing is that even if what they took out of that house was a smoking gun they could have found Clear's DNA at that point and guess what there was there would have been nothing that they could do with it because the chain of command had been so thoroughly fumbled that that when I say nothing they could do with it you know what I mean like they would have had to come up with something outside of evidence that they collected they would have had to find something that would link them back in order for them to be able to even bring that evidence in so they really did a really bad job I don't even know if their intent was to even try hard. You know what I mean? It definitely seemed like it was a a, a lack of interest in finding a resolution. Uh, to me, it almost feels as if they were uh, pandering or pacifying or just going through the motions for the family. Right. Be- because the family is, I feel like the family is involved, but I don't think that the family is aggressive as we've seen other families with uh, missing persons and That's murders. I think that the family, out of respect for the authorities, that they're doing their job and they're doing the best that they can do to find right. a, a, a solution or an answer. Yeah. I think the family really did rely upon the authorities to... They put hope. They put their hope into the authorities that they would eventually uh, solve the case. Right. And I did one of the interviews that I saw with the mom. She said that they did actually go to the state police because they felt like the um, local police were just in over their heads. And they just, you know, they did. And the state police felt like that the local police could handle it and sort of kicked it back. So, but again, like you said, we've seen other cases where the FBI gets involved and like other agencies do get involved. And so again, uh, you know, when I was taking my notes for the, the podcast, one of the notes I wrote was, is this incompetence or is this racism? You know, and, and I mean, it might be the elephant in the room, but it's a conversation that has to be had. Had this been a young white girl, would the conversation be different? Would the effort have been different? Especially something as simple as, hey, you were the last person to see her alive. Can we get in your house and search? Like, I I, I just, I don't know. And I, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know these people, so I don't want to paint them with a label, but that was something I wrote in my notes. Like, is this, because at the very least, it's incompetent. Like, it's just incompetent. 
Well, I, I think I, I don't necessarily want to go as far as to say misconduct. Uh, maybe a little bit of uh, incompetence, a little bit, uh, maybe yeah. a little bit of just uh, following protocol. Uh, I think there was a lot of protocol that wasn't followed, and I think there was just uh, a lot of disinterest in the case. However, uh, another thing that uh, I can't seem to wrap my head around is that uh, there has been accounts made regarding the doctor that the doctor was known around town to uh, have a less than stellar reputation about himself. Right. Uh, We spoke too early of him being frugal. Uh, There's also been some um, allegedly uh, some accusations regarding the doctor and misappropriation of some of those uh, grant funds that he was Mm -hmm. getting. Um. I, I do believe the answers lies with the doctor and yeah. I don't know how much time we, we necessarily have left with the doctor. If the doctor is even still alive at this point, I believe at the time she disappeared, she was 43 and we're, so he's probably what in his seventies uh, at this point. Yeah. Uh, one of the things uh, that has always been said is that the doctor has been very, um, adamant about not allowing anyone into the home the family right which again i find that very bizarre behavior and i I can understand a little bit of it to a certain degree regarding the male friend and the doctor being very quiet publicly about this case because i'm sure they get a lot of unwanted attention i'm Mm -hmm. sure they get a lot of accusatory derogatory threatening uh, comments in, in regards to them and their involvement with Clea. But at the same time, that would be motivation for them to help want to resolve the case, bring justice, and clearing their names. You would think. You would, you think, would think so. You would think. And I know that, um, you know, also when, you know, we talk about um, the doctor and his his behavior, and again, it's you know it's always easy to be on the outside looking in, but it seems to me like if like I would, I wouldn't want people to think that I had anything to do with this young girl's disappearance. So I would do everything in my power to cooperate. Like you want to come through my house, come through the house. Like I mean, short of tearing my house up, like no. But if you want to come look, come look, come come see what you need to see. You know, I'm I'm letting the parents know everything. You know that I I can let them know. And the other thing I read somewhere too was that um, one of the police officers, when they brought up the doctor's name, the police officer was like, oh yeah, he's a crook. And they had to kind of go back and make that, you know, that that officer had to actually apologize to the doctor and they had to take that like out of the record that that he had said that. So again, I feel like Dr. Amos didn't have the best reputation. That doesn't mean that, you know, he's guilty. And given his behavior in regards to the case, I, I would have to agree. I would have to it's probably uh, a creep because, I mean, here we are, we have a, a very bright and accomplished and uh, decent young lady and his, his lack of involvement uh, in wanting to know what happened to her and helping bring the family some comfort and closure. 
it it just it it totally mystifies me. I mean, so it, so let's so let's switch gears for a second. Let me ask you a question. Then, and this is all our opinion. This is not no factual. This is just us. What do you think happened? Let's assume for a minute that Clea never left that house. Let's just 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 go ahead and go down that road. What do you think happened? Okay. So this is my uh personal opinion. Right. Um well first of all, let me just say this before I go into my opinion. You know, we see a lot of treatment of women of women who have less than um stellar backgrounds. Uh women who are uh maybe um you know who work in adult entertainment you know when things like that happen to them uh, where they um turn up murdered and miss uh missing you know usually the authorities have uh they're not so focused on wanting to solve the case because of the type of woman that they are and i get that feeling that you know clear is being handled that way you know if this was a a, a young white lady you know, I, I feel like there would be way more emphasis and resources put on wanting to solve the case. And, and this, this really frustrates me to see that uh, people of color just are, are not given the same um, equal uh, justice, whether it's uh, with the prosecution of crimes, being accused of crimes, uh, being murdered in the streets. Uh, it, it just all that ties into uh, typecasting. Uh, switching gears, my theory on what happened that night. I do believe that uh, I do believe everything that the ex-wife has said about the doctor in her um, interviews with the press. Uh, doubling back just real quick, uh, when the family, uh, particularly Laurel, uh, Clea's mother, met with uh, the ex-wife, she had hired a photographer to take pictures of her while she was speaking with the family, which I thought that was very bizarre behavior. Uh, it went on to say that the reason why she did that was because she felt like the doctor was going to retaliate against her for speaking with the family mm -hmm. uh, and what she would tell the family. So I feel like there's secrets there with the wife as well. Right, right, right. Going back to what happened that night, I do believe Clea showed up uh, as normal. It was a normal night for her to uh, be at work. I feel like that phone call that she made at home at 8 o'clock, um, there was a reason for that call. I, that's just too close in time to call at 8 o'clock and then say, I'll call back at 8.30, when she could have just simply said, come pick me up at 8.30 when you had her on the phone at 8 o'clock. It just, to me, doesn't make sense to have two phone calls back-to-back. -back. Well, 8 o'clock is when the mother normally is expected to come and get you, but I'm working till 8.30 tonight as if she was stalling out for something. Now, that's true. That is true. I never thought of it like that, that she could have just as easily as said, call me back at 8.30. Come I mean, just be here at 8.30. Yeah, be here at 8.30. I'll be ready Yeah, I didn't think about that. That's true. I didn't think about that. I think specifically she was uh, 
seeking a phone call or expecting or had been expecting a phone call. Because keep in mind, if she had went to work, it sounds like if she worked part-time, we're talking about maybe a four-hour shift. So had she went to work at three o'clock, she would have been home by six. Meaning that this phone call that she was uh, anticipating, because remember, she wanted to go to work earlier that day for a reason. Mm-hmm. She would have been home to receive the call that she would have expected. So not having the time between the time her mom went to go try to drop her off work the first time and then arriving back home to wait for her to go back to work, she didn't have time to rearrange what she may have previously already had planned. So the inquiry about the phone call is okay, she was expecting a phone call from someone. Now what that phone call was about, I have no theories on that. Okay, so in turn, she now has to call said person that she's expecting that phone call from, from Dr. Amos's home. If Dr. Amos is of the character that he's described as, as jealous, controlling, abusive, uh, all these things that the ex-wife has accused him of, I would think that Dr. Amos would have an issue with Claire being on the phone with someone else while she's at his job, particularly a male. So if this interest that Clea has in this male friend was a little more than platonic, and I'm not saying that they were sexually or intimately involved or anything like that, but she could have very easily had a crush on a young man. Uh, there could have been, uh, you know, progressing to a dating relationship. We would never known that. Mm-hmm. I think that there was some type of confrontation between Dr. Amos and Clea. And um, I think that somewhere within the exchange of a confrontation that Clea may have announced her plans on not returning to continue to work for him. There may be things that uh, Clea may be unwillingly um, participated in, bear witness to, overheard, witnessing in his paperwork, in his business dealings that he may feel jeopardize his career or jeopardize whatever he had going on with these grants. Right. And I do believe that he he murdered her that night. I do believe that the wife is fully aware of what happened and from fear of what he would do to her or a fear of her being prosecuted as an accessory or involved in a crime. She helped him cover this crime. Um, I do believe that her remains uh, is somewhere on his property. That's my theory. So I agree. I think, I don't think Clea ever left at home. Um, what I don't know is why. I think it was a. I think. I think it was a crime of passion. I think that um, something happened that night. I don't. I think. Do I think that 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 Clea might have been up to something, and maybe she was trying to, you know, plan a little rendezvous or something? Maybe, perhaps, you know. Definitely, what you said, you know, is curious, but. I don't know if um, it had anything 
nefarious as far as maybe, you know, anything that the doctor liked, you know, for lack of a better word, was attracted to or liked her. And maybe, like you said, he caught her on the phone with a boy or flirting with a boy and he wasn't cool with it. I don't know if it was something business-wise. She was going to leave and, you know, she was leaving for her internship in a few weeks and maybe you know he asked her to do something she wasn't comfortable with and she, she finally confronted him and an argument ensued but what I what I absolutely believe is that whatever happened was a, a spur of the moment I don't think it was planned I don't think anything was premeditated because I think it would have been planned a lot better if if he had planned that that was going to be her last night there I felt like there would have been, you know, I just felt like they, he could have made some better arrangements for some things, but I think it was a crime of passion um, and they did something with the body. I think the wife knows um, and I do think that that's what, like, when, you know, like you said, those photographs and everything, um, I think she knows exactly what happened um, to Clea and for whatever reason, I don't know if because she was complicit and she's worried about maybe, you know, going to jail as well. I don't know. But I do think she knows what happened. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why that doctor will not, he has not moved out of that house. Like, And will not let anyone else in the house. But there's right. an important detail that we left out in okay. the story. And it's the co-worker. It's very rarely, as you can see, we overlooked it in our account of the the story but there has been several different accounts of the story that's being told that her friend or acquaintance Erica the co-worker was also working that night and offered Clea a ride home she refused the ride and told her that she would just walk home mm -hmm. which this the family has an issue with this because Clea would never have walked home by herself. The brother always comes and walks her home. Right. Or the mother comes and get her. If she right. had just gotten off the phone with her mom and told her mom that she would call back at 8.30 when she was ready to be picked up 10 minutes down the road. But then Erica offers to give her a ride home. They're apparently getting off work at the same time. Whatever would have happened to her had to happen before 8.30. Or right after that window of eight o'clock, mm -hmm. it it would have had to happen in that moment because thirty minutes from now my mom's coming to get me. So that right. that's so part of me kind of the timeline doesn't give the doctor opportunity to murder her and get rid of her in thirty minutes because. Yeah she would not have been allowed to call home at 8 o'clock. Now, it, it would have been one thing that if the family would have dropped her off, the mother would have dropped her off at 4 o'clock, and they never heard from her anymore that evening. But the fact that she called at 8 o'clock means that she was alive and well from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. Right. After 8 p.m., we lose that timeline. We lose the time stamping because the mother then falls asleep in 30 minutes so we don't right. know did she actually leave the home in 30 minutes and was accosted on her way home abducted snatched or did she ever make it out of the doctor's house the doctor would not have known that the mother was not going to arrive at 8 30 to pick her up the doctor did not know that she was going to fall asleep till midnight 
So what could have happened in such a short period of time to her that 27 years from now, we don't have an answer to? With her being 10 minutes down the road, 10 minutes down the road is within, in my mind, and I don't know what the neighborhood looked at. I haven't pulled it up on Google Maps or anything like that, but 10 minutes down the road seems like I distance to my house. <laughs> you know, it's I view. Right. What could have happened in such a short distance between her home and the doctor's home in such a short window of time? Right. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't. And again, you know, I've listened to so much in a short period of time that stuff gets blurred. But I, I one of the one of the podcasts that I listened to, there was a question about Erica's version of the story as far as her timeline. Like Erica was there that night, but there was some questioning of how late she was there versus how late. Um, and so that timeline, again, I don't you know, it was just. And then, like you said, the family questioned what Erica said as well, because like you said, she would not have. And the reality is, let's just again, let's just assume for a minute it was a regular night and everything was everything. Why wouldn't she accept a ride from Erica? It would it would keep her mother from having to come out the house at night. If if she was ready to leave when Erica was ready to leave, why wouldn't she just take the ride from Erica? You Which know takes what I mean? me back to my 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 theory of her having uh, previously arranged plans that she didn't want others involved in. She didn't want Erica to know that she had other arrangements. Sometimes, you know, we'll tell someone something just to get them out of our business. True. To brush them off. No, nah, don't worry about it. I'm walking home, but really I have other plans. So <clears throat> the, the, that's just the biggest part of this mystery is what could have happened to her in, in, in proximity of her own home that no one else bear witness to, that no one else heard anything, seen anything, saw anything suspicious, no evidence of anything left behind, not a shoe, not signs of a struggle, anything. Well, I mean, he had two whole weeks to get rid of anything. And again, remember, he went out of town. But there's a big difference between two weeks. There's a big difference between the two weeks that he had after she disappeared and the night she disappeared, the night she disappeared, he didn't have such a large window of time. But nobody to, came in the house. To, so, but, but how would he have known that no one would? How would he have known that no one would have showed up that night looking for her? He didn't know that they wasn't going to show up that night looking for her. He didn't know that a phone call. Why do you think that he answered the phone on the first ring? He had that's what I was gonna say. That's why. That's why his. That's why he was still up at midnight. He was, you know, cleaning up whatever. I mean, again, I'm not trying to be 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 crass about it, but he was. I guess because I've never murdered to be someone before. Of. I don't know how long it takes to murder someone. I, I, it just seems like such a small window of time between eight o'clock and eight thirty when she would be calling for a ride, or a ride would have been a, someone would have been arriving. To right, but her. that's why I think whatever happened happened after she made that phone call. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I hear your point. Your point is valid. Why wouldn't she just tell her mother, hey, just be here at 830? I don't know. It's weird. It's it's weird. But I again, I don't know. That's why I, I started off by saying, I don't know the rest of it. I just don't think that young lady ever left that house. I, I, I don't know. I don't think she ever left that house. 
I think it's pretty safe to say that the doctor is involved. At the very least, his behavior and his his interest in it's suspicious. It's suspicious at best. Uh, definitely a suspect. Uh, I'm very curious as to why the doctor hasn't been given a polygraph that they seen that the boyfriend, and this is another reason why I kind of want to lean towards the male friend aspect a little bit. Because if she did have plans that no one else knew about, then he's he's a person that had access to her and could she could have very easily called the boyfriend and told the boyfriend to come and get her instead. And I'm curious, I'm curious as to who said what, whether it was <sighs> the doctor, whether it was the parents, whether it was Erica. Someone put emphasis on the boyfriend, exactly. Right, who said something that made the police even, because we have no, there is no proof that I mean, other than the doctor saying somebody picked her up and I didn't, I couldn't tell you, but then he came back later and said that he heard her leave. He never saw her leave. But what pointed the police to the point where they gave this young man a polygraph test? You know, they didn't just talk to him and say, oh, okay, cool. The doctor refused. Well, the doctor refused to do it. Yeah, he he would schedule it and then cancel it, schedule it and then cancel it. He was playing games. But it, it seems to me like they had more reason to be um, to put pressure on a doctor than they had to put pressure on this young man who nobody could even prove whether he was even in the neighborhood. Like what the fact that they put, you know, like I said, they even, they, they gave him a polygraph. I just found it to be very interesting that how did they even go there? Like who said anything that even put them, pointed them in that direction? You know what I'm saying? Where just, is the court order for the phone records? Where is the court order for the phone records for the doctor's phone? You know, there's just so many things that weren't thoroughly investigated. And then some of it could, but I don't know if this is an active, ongoing investigation. I don't know if it's closed, considered closed. It's not considered closed. It's just probably considered inactive. It's a cold case. It's a cold so it's case. probably considered inactive, but no, it's, it's, I don't, well, I'm not going to say it's not closed. I don't think it's closed. Let me, let me, the last interview I saw with the mom, and that was about a, I think it was about a year ago. Um, she said that it's not close, it's just inactive. But again, you know, it could anything could have happened. But well, something we found before we went could be uh parts of the case that aren't public knowledge. That well, that's, you, I'm sorry, go ahead. Finish up. No, go ahead. That. No, I didn't mean I, I just I didn't mean to cut you off. Um but that's t- so two things that, to what you just said. One is um when that report came back from the evidence they took out, even though it had been sitting, you know, in the the locker for 40 days, the police just came back to the family and was like, oh yeah, there's no new evidence. I want to see the report. Like, I, the family said they never saw the report. They never saw anything. The family said to this day, they don't even know what is in, what was in their daughter's locker because the police took it and never gave it back, never gave them an inventory, never told them, well, you know, it was a hairbrush. It was her books. It was her jacket. Like they have no idea what the police, what evidence the police actually have. And, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not, second guessing because I I can't put I can't even put myself in their shoes but it just seems like you know 
I wonder why they never uh, uh, retained their own attorney to sort of advocate for them because it seems like the police is real, uh, uh, really not trying to be proactive in helping the family at least come to terms with the situation. It seems to me like they would be open to say, listen, here's what we collected. And the report came back that there was there was nothing there. Like, they don't even know what they took out of the house. Now, the rumor is they took concrete and stuff like that, but there's no, they don't know anything. And I just, that just seems to me to add insult to injury. You know what I mean? It's an oddity. It's an oddity at best. Uh, and I don't know if that's because the 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 persons that were handling all that was a little bit inept or uh, um, not properly trained, uh, not following procedures or protocols. It's inept at best. Um, and a very strange happening for a case like this because you would think that uh, there would be a lot of scrutiny on, on uh, you know, a young college student, well, a young high school student disappearing from their job. You would think there would be some attention from the the political forces of that town to want to have a resolution for that case. Right. The closest that I've seen where the mother has uh, kind of reached out for some assistance, and that's been through City Hall, through the City Council. Um mm-hmm. I don't know if there's been any activists that have been involved in pressuring uh, law enforcement to solve the case. Uh, I know there has been a lot of pressure that has been put on uh, the police chief at the time. Her name was Brenda Davis. They put a lot of emphasis and focus on how she was managing uh, her resources for this case. And, um, you know, the lack of... uh, knowledge and experience and training I think is what forced them to go to the state police was because I don't think that they were equipped to investigate a case like this because it was so many twists and turns and they probably didn't have the manpower or the resources or technology for that matter to you know get some of these answers that you know we can get now with GPS tracking and DNA and things like that, you know. In 1994, a lot of that was in this infant Mm -hmm. stages of being created, you know, so regardless of who's involved and responsible for it, it's just a terrible tragedy that uh, a bright young lady, a beautiful, bright young lady uh, doesn't have an answer. Right. One last thing. We did see right before we went live, I mean, before we recorded this, you did find an article where there was some sort of protest recently, right? Wasn't it like a month ago or something like that? Last where year. It was last year. I apologize. I thought it was more recent than that. But there was um, a protest where people, because of podcasts and, you know, so many people are talking about this in the true crime community, there was a protest that's put that was trying to put pressure on the police chief and on the, the police department down there based on that that evidence that was collected like they want to know what what it was based on what they found like what exactly it was so it does seem like people you know podcasts like this and and other podcasts that we've listened to have sort of maybe reawakened some things i think there's been several uh attempts at that over the years but a lack of better term a little too late for that um, oh, yeah. I think uh, what this is more so is uh, honoring her uh, is 
kind of like a, a memorial, a candlelight vigil type thing, uh, just keeping uh, her name alive and mm-hmm. um, the memory of her. Uh, I, I'm not going to say it's too little too late to solve this case because we've seen cases that are uh, much, much older than this uh, solved. So it's it's cold, but I think it's solvable and I think it, it lies with the doctor. Whether he's uh, directly responsible for her disappearance, he knows more of what happened about that night than he's speaking to. And I think yeah. the wife does as well. So... Um, like I said, this is something that we're going to start doing, um, particularly centered around for the first uh, part, uh, we'll be focused on uh, persons of color, uh, murders and disappearances uh, to kind of help these families get some justice and uh, shed some light to what's happening to our people and helping our people get some comfort and justice in their uh, grief and um, helping to prosecute those who are responsible for harming our people. If anyone knows anything that could help resolve this case, solve it, uh, give this family some closure, and most of all, let's give Clea some peace where she, wherever she may be uh, can rest in peace. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sorry to say, but it's in my opinion that uh, she's no longer with us. Yeah. And we need to yeah. find out why she's no longer with us. Who's responsible for that? Um, so again, do the right thing. If anyone who uh, knows about this uh, has any information that can help uh, give his family some comfort, go to your local authorities. Uh, you know, there's so many ways to report tips and things anonymously with anonymity where you don't have to come forward but you know it's 27 years later and you know someone needs to get their conscience clear uh i would hope that uh whatever happens with the doctor uh we end up with some answers before long and um given his uh suspicious behavior no matter how i twist and turn my theory it ultimately all leads me back to him because of what yeah. he's done. All roads lead to the doctor in my mind as well. All right. Well, uh, anything else? Nope. That's that's it. That's all. That was a good case. We're going to try to do this on a regular basis. So definitely, um, you know, join us again. Yep. We'll be here. Uh, as always, you can reach us on our social media. You can find me at uh, RetroCG. On Instagram. You can find me on um, YouTube at Really Be As In Boy TV. Um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Really Be TV underscore on YouTube. Thank y'all for listening to our podcast and we'll see you next time. All right. Peace. This program is brought to you by TSF Entertainment Podcast.